theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron. The other host joining me is Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, before we start today's episode, we do have a quick announcement to make. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by joining our Patreon. For just $5 a month, enjoy weekly Patreon-exclusive episodes and access to our extensive back catalog of over 194 Patreon episodes that are all ad-free. You can now sign up to our Patreon via Spotify by going to our podcast on the Spotify app and clicking on the banner that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Now, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a Patreon membership but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or Spotify. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. Also. Remember, our content is entirely human-made. No AI was involved or harmed in the process. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is a Theories Thursday. And if you are unfamiliar with what a Theories Thursday is, it is where Dan and I each select two different topics. We don't tell each other about the topics. We then independently research those topics. And then we go over them on today's episode. And the hardest thing about a Theories Thursday is figuring out who goes first. And we usually have some dice that we roll to figure that out. And it's the best two out of three. Best two out of three. And it's a 20-sided die. Are you going with odds or evens? I'm going with evens this time. Evens? All right. Best two out of three. First roll is a one. Of course. (laughs) Jesus. Last time we did this, I won both times. All right. Next roll is a 16. Tied. Next roll gets it. 16. There you go. You win, Dan. So for this week's Theories Thursday, Dan will start it off telling us about his theory, and then I will take up the end. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So what is your topic for this week? All right, so my topic for this week's Theories Thursday, I decided to revisit a case that happened back in 2012. It made headlines all over the country and then kind of just died off. Let me ask you this. Going back to 2012, thinking about all the crazy shit that happened back in 2012, what's one of the headlines that you can just, like, remember? Coney 2012, baby. Okay, anything else? <laughs> um, the end of the world in December of 2012? The Mayan calendar ending? Okay, let's narrow it down then. Something that happened in a southeastern state. Maybe Florida. I don't know. Was it the ice bucket challenge? I can't remember. You don't remember? Was it the zombie invasion? The zombie. Yeah, there was like news of zombies attacking people on the streets in Miami, I think. The 2012 Miami zombie, a.k.a. bath salts. Oh, yeah, that incident. That was crazy. That was crazy. And it blew up, and then all of a sudden it just disappeared. Disappeared. That's what my topic is actually kind of about, the 2012 Miami zombies. But it's mostly about things that can zombify and whatnot. So things that 
can turn other things into zombies? Yes. All right. But then mostly going into the 2012, just because there was a little weirdness to that story as well. All right. I'm interested. Let's hear it. All right. Do we all know what a zombie is? I mean, I could say most people in their lives that are listening should have at least seen a zombie movie. Ones that are actually horror or maybe an animated one with, you know, fake little zombies. What's your favorite zombie movie? Night of the Living Dead. Okay. That's a pretty good one. It's the, what, first one, I believe it is, with, what's his name, Brooks? Yeah. I like the 28 Days Later. That's a good one. It's got Cillian Murphy and you see his ding dong in it. Oh, <laughs> nice. Anyway. <laughs> so, of course, zombies nowadays, you know, the modern term for it is really that it's something that was thought to be dead, but is somehow reanimated and becomes like a flesh-eating, walking, running corpse going after people's brains and flesh. Now, looking into it, there are many different things that can turn many different other things into zombies. You're talking about fact or fiction here? I'm talking about fact. Oh, shit. Okay. So, the very first example I have is a topic that you talked about way back. Cordyceps, the fungus. There's a species of fungus that can target and infects various insects through their spores. Once the infection takes place, this parasitic fungus takes control of the insect's mind, which then alters the insect's behavior to help in the spread of the spores even more. The one that Aaron talked about would be the fungus that took control over the carpenter ant. And once this fungus takes over and turns the ants into so-called zombies, the ants become compelled to climb to the top of elevated vegetation, do like a death bite there to keep itself in place, and then eventually get eaten from the inside out to where then the spores grow from the ant from the high elevation and then it gets pretty much spread across in hopes that it latches onto another ant so that was the very first example of it now there's another example that involves a spider and a wasp so there's a certain type of spider group called like the eximias which these spiders they like to stay in a close-knit social circle they don't travel too far from like where they were born and they stay close to their like colony. Okay. Now, in 2018, different zoologists had found an unknown species of wasp. So this wasp could and would manipulate the spiders to an extent that left researchers baffled. The researchers noticed that some of these spiders that were infected by the wasp's larvae would exhibit bizarre behavior in which they would leave their colony to weave tightly spun cocoon-like webs in remote locations. So they found out where the spider, you know, built this little cocoon thing, and they decided to open up this cocoon. What they found inside was not a spider, but the wasp larva growing inside of it. Then they decided to research more into why they found the larva instead of the spider. Come to find out, this wasp would attack these spiders lay their eggs on the abdomen of the spiders, which then the larva, or these eggs would hatch a larva, and the larva would attach to the spider, then start eating the spider, to which to the point that they would end up taking control of the spider's body, kind of like the mind control of the ants with the spores. And what these larvae would do, take control of the body, and would have these spiders leave the colony area, find a remote location, and then spin a cocoon for itself. And right before it goes into the cocoon, the larva will finish eating the spider, then go into the cocoon until it matures into a wasp. Imagine if something like that spread across us humans. I would hate for that to ever spread to humans. 
Yeah. But think, this is just a wasp that does this and the larva ends up taking control of the spider to where it's like, you know, you have a free meal. We can use the spider's body to make ourselves a nice little home. So that was the second example I found. The third example, I talked about this in Strange News number five. It was the giant virus, the Sibiricum. Now, this was the virus that was very, very large, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So if you look at most viruses, they're like, I think, 50 strands of DNA, little thingies. But these viruses are like thousands, thousands times bigger. Wow. But, I mean, they're still small. Mm -hmm. It just means that these ones, you don't have to magnify as much to see them. Okay. But in Strange News 5, I talked about how they were digging and drilling in the permafrost, and they were finding these new viruses. And when was that again? This was actually, yeah, like last year or so. Oh, okay. Yeah, last year when we did Strange News, it was one of those articles I found that they were like recently digging there and they were finding these new viruses as they got deeper. Scary. Yep, and I mean, they're still finding other viruses and such, but this virus right here can't affect humans or animals, but they're still suspecting that later on, as they dig deeper, they might find something that could. And it's like they're all excited about it too. Stop digging. Stop digging. Yeah, it's like, leave the shit alone. Let it stay there. Yeah. So that's the third example. The fourth example are zombie plants. Have you ever heard of these ones? I don't think so. All right. So in 2014, researchers from the United Kingdom found that a certain bacteria known as phytoplasma could actually turn some plants into zombies. This phytoplasma bacteria is spread by insects, which when it lands and eats part of the plant, the plant becomes affected by the bacteria. So the plant we're going to use, for example, is the goldenrod. My dad's allergic to the goldenrods. Well, I mean, this kind of helps him out then. Oh, okay, cool. So these goldenrod plants get infected by the bacteria. Instead of growing the beautiful flowers that your dad are allergic to, instead, this bacteria forces the plant to grow more stems and leaves, growing outwards. So that way, more bugs are attracted to it to where the bugs will eat the stems and leaves, get infected by the bacteria, and then they travel off and they spread it again, pretty much in a big circle. These goldenrods, once they get infected, they can't spread and make more goldenrods. All they can do is produce the bacteria. The only thing, though, is like these plants, they don't really die off. They just become a breeding ground for the bacteria instead of more goldenrods, which, I mean, kind of zombie-like. Yeah. Because, you know, if you got bit by a zombie, you become a zombie. So, yeah, that's the zombie plant. So that right there is example number four. Now, number five, I'm pretty sure everyone's waiting for it. It's just like, are y'all going to talk about the Haitian zombies? That's example number five. So in 1997, there were two doctors, and they decided to investigate the Haitian zombies to see, in fact, it was a real possibility that they were zombies and that zombies were being reanimated. I guess you would call it. In, in Haiti? In Haiti. Okay. They ended up publishing a paper in the Lancet magazine, which they analyzed the cases of three different individuals whom the Haitian community deemed to be zombies. One was a 30-year-old woman who had allegedly quickly died after falling ill. Then three years later, her family recognized her walking down the street as a zombie. Another was a young man who had died at the age of 18 but then 18 years later, 
he was seen at a cockfight that was going on. Cockfight, let's clarify. It's when two guys come together. Nope, that's not it. It's where you take two roosters and they fight each other. It's illegal. They put like little metal blades on the back of their little claws and they'll claw each other. It's like real life Pokemon, kind of. Not Power World. They saw him at a cockfight where they were fighting roosters. Then the last one was a woman who also died at the age of 18 and she was spotted 13 years later. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Then the last one was a woman who also died at the age of 18 and she was spotted 13 years later, pretty much walking around. So they all say that these people had died and somehow were resurrected and they were zombies now. Who's they? The community or the researchers? The community. So the researchers now, they go on to say that the 30-year-old woman had catatonic schizophrenia, which is a rare condition that makes the person act as though they are walking in a stupor. Then the young man had experienced brain damage and also had epilepsy, while the third one, young woman, has suffered from a learning disability. The two researchers were quoted in this paper saying, people with a chronic schizophrenic illness, brain damage, or learning disability are not uncommonly met with wandering in Haiti, and they would be particularly likely to be identified as lacking volition and memory, which are characteristic of a zombie. So from what I'm getting from that is that people in Haiti are not used to seeing somebody with learning disability, brain damage, or a mental illness. They're just classifying them as zombies. And they're classifying them as zombies. Okay. So with that being said, these researchers did state that there is a specific psychiatric disorder called Cotard's syndrome. Say that one more time. Cotard's. Cotard's. Okay. Spell it out. It is spelled C-O-T-A-R-D, so cotard. Now, this cotard syndrome, it can cause people to act like zombies. This syndrome makes the person believe they are under the delusion that they are dead or decomposing. There was a case study on this syndrome where a 53-year-old woman who was complaining she was dead, smelled like rotting flesh, and wanted to be taken to a morgue so that she could be with the dead people. Ugh. And then there was another case of a 65-year-old man who had developed a belief that his organs, including his brain, had stopped working and that even the house in which he lived was slowly but steadily falling apart. Then, of course, they find out that this 65-year-old man did try to take his life, failed, but they did find a letter with him that he was doing it to prevent spreading a deadly infection to all the other villagers. So those are some examples of living things becoming or just said to be a zombie. So there was no actual proof of zombies in Haiti, but they believe that these people were zombies. Now, this leads into the main part of my theory of talking about the 2012 Miami zombie. So in May of 2012, 31-year-old resident of Miami, Rudy Eugene, suddenly and without warning, had stripped down butt-naked and went on the attack. Eugene ended up attacking a homeless man named Ronald Papo in such a savage way that he ripped away all of Ronald's clothes and began to maul Ronald's face. Oh, good Lord. This was happening in the middle of the day on a busy highway. It was only when a passing police officer arrived at the scene did anyone really notice what was happening. Eugene was in such a ferocious state that the officer kept yelling at Eugene to get off of Ronald, back away, stop, nothing. 
Eugene just kept on attacking Ronald. And at one point, the officer said that when he was yelling at Eugene, Eugene had stopped, turned, looked at him, and then let out a snarl, and then went back to attacking Ronald again. After multiple warnings, Eugene still ripping the flesh off of Ronald's face, the officer fired one shot into Eugene. According to an eyewitness that was there watching the horrible scene, they said that when Eugene was shot the first time, he stopped, looked up, growled like a beast, and then went right back to attacking Ronald's face again. Oh. The witness also said that when he turned and looked around at the officer, you could still see flesh hanging from the mouth of Eugene. That's disgusting. That is very disgusting. So the officer decided to fire multiple shots, which after firing six shots into Eugene, Eugene finally stopped and fell to the ground, where Eugene would die of his injuries from the gunshots. Ronald was still alive. He was rushed to the hospital where they said around 80% of his face had been ripped apart and his right eye was totally missing, which was devoured by Eugene. So all he had left was his left eye and part of his beard. Now, even though he survived, he would live with the scars of the brutal attack forever. And the one thing I read up about Ronald, the one that got attacked, mm -hmm. they were able to find his family and contact them. His family thought he died years, years, years ago. Really? Yeah, they all thought he committed suicide and that was it. Because he was homeless? Mm -hmm. That's sad. Yep. But uh, the police officers, they all believed that Eugene was on some type of drug. The two main culprits would be PCP or bath salts. The reason for that is that these drugs can cause severe rampaging behavior, aggression, extreme paranoia, and hallucinations, but also displaying superhuman strength and resistance to pain. Pretty much it makes you like a superhuman, but yet I guess you like to flesh. So that's what they originally said was the main reason why he started acting like this. Somehow he got PCP or bath salts. Mostly bath salts because that's what they reported on the news. Well, this is where it kind of falls off to where I think that this is the reason why we didn't hear anything else about it in the media. They did a toxicology report on Eugene. He only had a small amount of marijuana in his system. No PCP, no bath salts, nothing else. Hmm. Of course, the authorities were baffled at what could have caused Eugene to go into a beastly rage and attacked Ronald the way he did. They have no idea. Now, at the time, Eugene did have a girlfriend. And that morning, she said that he did leave super early, which was odd, but he acted completely normal, just saying, you know, told her I love you, you know, I'll be home later. But then, like, later on in the day, he called saying that his car broke down, so he'll be home a little late. Not long after that phone call is when he went on a rampage. Damn. Now, she said it was either drugs or someone had put a voodoo curse on him, which in Haiti, that's the number one thing for bringing people back as zombies or, yeah. which I didn't, I'm not going to go deep into the practices of voodoo because that's a whole nother episode on itself. Yeah. I was reading into it. And I'm just like, holy, holy shit. The process that they go through is insane. And it has to be done precisely. So, yeah, they never found out why Eugene went into this rampage or why he attacked the homeless guy at all. And I think that's why it kind of died off because they wanted to blame drugs, but then they realized it wasn't. They had no idea. So, honestly, I think he went, he was zombified somehow. And there was another case later on in Florida in 2016, which I didn't go too in depth in because 
it was a Florida State University student, which he was supposedly like really good, really nice, not violent at all. And all of a sudden, they find him at this old couple's house just gnawing on this old man's face. What year was this? 2016. Oh, Jesus. Florida people. Florida people, man. But only reason I didn't go too deep into that one is for the fact he did have a knife in his hand, so he murdered them first. It wasn't until after they detained him, they were able to stop him by use of a canine dog, that they found the, the wife of the old man in another room pretty much stabbed to death. So this kid, he ended up stabbing them, and then he decided to start eating the face of this old guy. Don't know why. He didn't have drugs in his system either, just a small amount of marijuana. You know, the same thing happened to an individual in June of 2012 in Waco, Texas. In Waco, Texas? Waco, yeah. A 22-year-old man named Michael Daniel began to bark like a dog and then took his neighbor's 40-pound dog and ate it. He was on high on bath salts, supposedly. Mm. At least that's what the police stated. I think that was another way to make bath salts look like really bad so people wouldn't take it. In the summer of 2012, everybody, including, you know, the well, majority of the police officers, were stating that anything that involved a person acting crazy, they were attributing it to bath salts, when sometimes it wasn't even the case. Mm-hmm. And I think this push against it is what caused it to become illegal, because in July of 2012, the U.S. federal drug policy was amended to ban bath salts. I definitely see that, because like, when you think of bath salts now, Literally, all you think about is probably like gnawing somebody's face off. Mm-hmm. And so that plan right there worked perfectly for them. Now, I'm not saying that bath salts is like good or anything, but that was their way of making it look like extremely bad. So them not knowing what or how he became the way he was, it made me start looking into like to see if the government or anybody was doing anything like weird in a way of, I guess, like reanimation. So secret testing, like top secret government testing on individuals? Not even top secret. Not even hidden, actually. Out in the open? Out in the open. Uh Uh-oh. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. This is our last one, so don't go nowhere. All right, welcome back. So that's when I found back in 2005, there was a Dr. Patrick Koshinek who had run a series of horrible experiments on dogs. They even deemed these experiments the Night of the Living Dogs. What this doctor wanted to accomplish was a way to develop the use of suspended animation to help humans who are injured in combat or crime. So pretty much what he was trying to do was, say if you were critically injured, was there a way to stop you from dying to give the doctors enough time to fix whatever was wrong and then bring you back without you actually not really being fully dead? That's weird. So. What his experiments did, he used different dog size breeds, pretty much whatever he could get his hands on, and he would put them under anesthesia. Then he would drain their veins of all blood. Oh, God. And he would fill it with a almost frozen-like saline solution, which would bring the dog's body temperature almost to freezing levels, pretty much putting them in a suspended animation to where... This would put the dog into extreme hypothermia. This made them scientifically dead. There was no breathing, heartbeat, or brain activity, but it left the tissue and vital organs preserved. They would see how long they could keep these dogs in this state 
before pumping out that solution and pumping blood back into the dogs and then give them oxygen and send the electric shock to the heart to get the heart start beating again. They found out that they could do it for almost three hours. Good Lord. So they could keep these dogs in this state for three hours before they had to pump blood back in, put oxygen in them, and then shock their hearts to get them to come back. Now, they had positive results with this. Most of the dogs did come back to life, but not all of them came back normal. Some of them had physical problems. Some, some of them had behavior problems. Now, they didn't specify these behavior problems. And I'm wondering if possibly that could be like aggression or some shit, right? Yeah. Now, that led to these experiments happening. And it's just like, I wonder how far they would go. Are they going to try to do this on humans? Yes. They are? Actually, it's currently going on. You wouldn't know it unless you actually looked into it. So in November of 2019, doctors have placed humans in suspended animation for the first time. It was part of a trial in the U.S. that aims to make it possible to fix traumatic injuries that would otherwise lead to death. There's a Dr. Tisherman of the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore. He was able to successfully place at least one patient in suspended animation, calling it a little surreal. But he wouldn't reveal, though, how many people they tried before actually succeeding. And this technique they have is called emergency preservation and resuscitation. And it is being carried out on the people who arrive at the university in Baltimore who have suffered an acute trauma, such things as gunshots or stab wounds, and have had a cardiac arrest. This would mean, like, their chances of surviving is very, very low. It's like 10% chance. Okay. And the FDA was just like, you know what? That's perfect. Because with those chances being so low, they don't need to sign a waiver or consent. Because either way, they're probably going to die. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. The trial was given the go-ahead by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration because of that. Because if it didn't work, they were going to die either way. So they're out there doing this on individuals without their permission. Without their permission because, hey, 10% chance, they're probably going to die anyways. If it works, then they survive. What are they going to do? Be mad that we kept them alive? But they are continually doing this at the University of Maryland. I mean, 2019 was the very first case of them succeeding. So, I mean, depending on how many traumatic injuries and shit that they're getting, they're continuously doing this. And they make it sound like it's for the betterment of humanity. Yeah, because they're just like, oh, if this was on the battlefield, if we're able to get these soldiers off the field and put this solution into them to freeze their body, then we have two, three hours to work on them to stop the bleeding. And then we switch their blood back in, electric shock them, boom, they're alive. And then send them back out on the battlefield. And then send them right back on the battlefield. Jesus. That right there is my Theories Thursday topic. I thought it was super interesting, especially the last part, because I had no idea they were actually trying that type of experiments. I had no clue that they were trying that either. And I have something I want to add to the end of your Theories Thursday topic. Okay. There's this single-celled pathogen that cats leave in their feces. And mice will go and eat the feces in this single-celled pathogen, this microbe. It ends up infecting these mice, and it can infect any mammal or birds or whoever with a disease called toxoplasmosis. So rodents are able to smell the odor of a cat, and they'll run away. They'll flee. But what this 
infection does to them is it makes that odor, it attracts them to it. So they go towards the cat. Ooh. Yeah. Now, this toxoplasmosis can sexually reproduce only in the guts of a cat. And the pathogen's rodent's host must be eaten. Well, did you know that they did a study and they determined that this parasite has infected up to one-third of people around the world? One-third. Wait, wait, wait. So 33% of the population in the world is infected with this toxoplasmosis. But you said it's in the cat's feces. Yes. So that means that... Well, you got to think about it. They go in their little box, they take shit, they claw it out, and they go and they walk around the house, and it's like little bitty microbes. Oh. Yeah. For a second there, I thought you were telling me that people were eating cat shit. (laughs) No. Okay. No. So in humans, of course, they found that 33% have it, but studies have linked this toxoplasmosis infection with behavioral changes and schizophrenia. It was found that there was an increased risk of traffic accidents in people infected with this parasite and that sometimes the individuals who are infected will grow microscopic cysts in the brain cells. So there you go. Something to add on to that. Cats, huh? Meow. I'm pretty sure I'm infected. Well, we're all probably infected now. Yeah. (laughs) So congratulations. That adds to the zombie apocalypse. We're all going to turn into cats. All it needs is like one of these ways of zombifying these, whatever it is, to mutate. And then we're screwed. And then we're screwed. Just like the cordyceps when we, the last of us. Yeah. The fungus mutated, ends up taking over people because the temperature got warmer and they adapted. I mean, say this, whatever the cat shit stuff is. Toxoplasmosis. That if it mutates, I mean, it's already in people. Yeah. That's how The Walking Dead actually starts off because everyone already has it. It's pretty much cats. Damn. All right. Well, thank you for your theories Thursday this week, Dan. You're welcome. And I have one last thing. All right. Let's hear it. So this is a question for everybody. If the zombie apocalypse did happen, what is your go-to plan? Would you take over a store? Would you board up your house? Would you go out in the woods, create like a new fortress? What would you do? And this is for everyone. I want to know. Send me an email. Let me know. Dan at theoriesofthirdkind.com. Tell me your plans so I can ruin them. I'm just kidding. My thing is it all depends on how fast it's spreading. If I can make it up to Maine, which is like a three-day, well, I could get there in 40 hours. I drove from Boston to Waco, Texas in 37 hours straight. I can make it to Maine in 40 hours. If the roads are clear, which I doubt they will be, yeah. realistically, I wouldn't be able to make it to Maine, which that would be my first to go to place. Second go to, I don't know, to be completely honest. I have no idea. I have no idea either. Because either way, like you board up your house, sooner or later you have to go out to go get supplies. I think I'll just join Team Zombies. Yeah, you could. Yeah, I'd be interested in hearing what others would do. I know there's some, uh, what are those called? Preppers? Preppers. Oh, I know we have preppers. Yeah, look at Mark Zuckerberg. He spent almost $300 million on an underground bunker here recently. That's so he can go and hibernate. He's a reptilian. (laughs) Go go recharge because he's a zombie. Uh, Well, thank you for your Theories Thursday topic this week, Dan. I loved it. Thank you. Glad you liked it. 
All right. So I guess we move on to my topic for this week. Yes, sir. I see you have it listed as Jack. Yes. And it's not off. It's short for Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. So my theories Thursday topic this week is something that I was researching last week. I told you all about it and I got really, um, I wouldn't say upset, but very baffled at what I uncovered. And it's about the bodies that were discovered. Specifically, the over 200 bodies that were discovered only a month ago. All of them buried in unmarked graves behind a state jail. Now, to understand how these bodies were discovered, and before we go into the details of them and all that, we have to talk about an individual named Dexter Wade. So on March 5th, 2023, 37-year-old Dexter Wade had just finished visiting his mother in Jackson, Mississippi. They said their goodbyes. Dexter left his mother's house and began walking back home. Now, as he was walking, he had to walk along the interstate. So following that, Dexter's mother didn't hear from him for days. Nine days later, on March 14, 2023, Dexter's mother ended up filing a missing persons report. And for the following months, his mother called the Jackson Police Department to see if there had been any updates on her son that had gone missing. She was quoted saying, It was devastating to me because I didn't know where he was. And then I was calling them. They didn't have any information to let me know. Had they found any information? All the details that I gave them for leads, they never got back to me. And I just couldn't believe that he, as in Dexter, had just disappeared off the face of the earth. And nobody knows where he is at. And it was just horrible for me. And every day I would wake up and I would just look and look and look for him. I would be driving around in the streets looking for him. And I mean, that's heartbreaking for a mother. So that's what she is quoted saying. She would always call the Jackson, Mississippi Police Department, give them leads. Hey, my son could be here, could be here. He's been missing for months. Any updates? They would say, okay, we'll get back to you. Or no, we don't have any updates. Finally. In November of 2023, it was discovered that Dexter had been buried in a field with over 200 others whose families had not claimed them or even been notified that their loved ones have died. So what was uncovered is that when Dexter left his mom's house on March 5th and was walking back home on the interstate, an off-duty police officer who was driving a Jackson Police Department vehicle had somehow swerved off the road, ran over Dexter, killing him. The off-duty police officer called 911, paramedics came out, police came out, they investigated it, didn't find the police officer to be in any, you know, even though he was off-duty, was like, ah, no, nah, he didn't do anything wrong, it was an accident. He accidentally ran over that person. That's what happened to Dexter. And of course, when Dexter's mom found out about this, she was pissed. However, the Jackson police stated that they didn't know who Dexter was because they couldn't identify him. And if they were able to identify him, then they would have been able to notify her. And that's why they didn't notify her. 
But the weird thing about that is the EMTs that showed up and the autopsy that was done on Dexter revealed that he had a prescription bottle with his name on it in his pocket. Also, he had his identification in his front pocket. But the police stated to Dexter's mom, oh, we didn't notify you. Sorry. So after that, after it was uncovered that they did have his identification, officials changed their story. They changed it from, we didn't know who he was, to, oh, once we found out who he was, we tried to notify Dexter's mother by calling her, but no one answered. Dexter's mother claimed that she never received a phone call. And if they did call her and she didn't answer, why didn't the police just come to her house to notify her that her son had been hit by a police car? Instead, what the police did is they took his body, quick autopsy, sewed him up, took him in a field, and ended up burying him with over 200 other individuals, and the police stated that they could not identify his next of kin. That's what they officially stated after that. Damn. To add to this, Dexter's mother actually had a previous lawsuit against the Jackson Police Department from three years earlier when she stated that they had killed her brother. And to add even more just messed up stuff to this story is Dexter's funeral. So after all of this was uncovered, Dexter's mother said, hey, I want to get his body out of that field and I want to give him a proper burial. So police officials stated, okay, we are going to exhume his body from the field. We're going to take him to a location and have him properly buried. And the mother was like, great. Well, what time is that going to happen? Because I want to be there when you exhume his body and transport him and give him a correct burial. They told Dexter's mother to be there in the field at 11 to 11.30 a.m. She showed up there at 11 a.m. The officials there said, oh, sorry, we exhumed your son's body and reburied it at 8 a.m. It's like, how much more shit can you put this mother through? It's insane. So, like I stated at the beginning, there was a mass grave of unmarked bodies discovered that sort of kicked off this entire thing. And Dexter's mother was not alone in this because several families said that they had waited months to hear about a missing loved one, that they were just waiting months and months and they got no news about, hey, my father went missing, my brother, my sister. They would get no news back from the police department. And then they would learn that, hey, their relative had died months earlier and they were just buried in the grassy field with their graves marked only by a metal tag bearing a number by the police department. That's how they identified the people was through those numbers. So after this, it was uncovered that since 2016, 215 individuals have been buried behind this jail in this field and their families had not been notified. Now, since then, this story has gone viral. It was discovered that another Jackson, Mississippi man was buried without his family's knowledge and a third man was discovered to have been buried in the field without anyone notifying his mother either. So NBC News did a good write-up on the second man that was uncovered, Mario Moore, who was 40. In February, he was beaten to death 
and authorities buried him in that field in July, and his family was never notified until that fall. And then the third man was Jonathan David Hankins, and he had left his house in May of 2022, and authorities found him dead a few days later, but they didn't notify his mother, and they just buried him in that field as well. So yeah, those two individuals are just a couple of individuals who were not notified. Like I said, there's hundreds of other families whose loved ones had passed away and their families were never notified. So of course, with this story pretty much going viral, the Jackson's city's director of communications ended up coming forward and making an announcement since they were getting a ton of heat. So this director stated, and I quote, the bodies were buried in a pauper's graveyard managed by Hines County. It is not a secret burial ground. In those graves are the bodies of those who went unclaimed by family when they died. These persons are either homeless people, inmates from local jails who died but relatives never claimed their bodies, unidentified persons whose officials were never able to connect with family, or even persons who died whose families couldn't afford a funeral. That's the announcement. So it's like, oh, it's not a secret grave, everybody. Just chill out. And then right after that announcement, the Jackson Police Department stated that they were going to start adopting a next-of-kin notification policy to better notify individuals whose loved ones have died. You think they would have adopted that from the beginning? You think they would. Apparently they didn't. Yeah, looking at the dates of these individuals that were buried, it's like they waited till they got a certain amount of bodies, and then they did a mass burial. That's exactly what they did. And I looked into that burial ground and started pulling records from that cemetery, and I found out that from 2008, 334 people had been buried at that cemetery. And the demographics are all over the place. There was an unnamed infant who died shortly after being born who was buried out there. There was a 92-year-old woman who had died at a local hospital and was never claimed at the hospital, so they buried her out there. So that's my theories Thursday this week, and I have a theory behind it. This is my personal opinion that the Jackson Police Department is corrupt and they use this gravesite to cover up crimes that they committed. For example, off-duty police officer runs over a civilian they cover it up by taking the guy and burying him in that field and not notifying his mother. Oh, 100%. There's definitely corruption there. And they're just like, oh, this, this grave's used for people that don't get claimed, homeless people, you know, people that no one cared about. I think it does to an extent, but it's also used for nefarious reasons. Oh, I mean, that's what I think they're trying to say is like, no one claimed the guy's body. So they're just like, oh, we put it there. But, you know, no one knows he got buried there because... These are just a bunch of people that no one claimed, no one knew existed. That's what they're doing. It's pretty much just an unnamed burial site. Yeah. Even though they marked them with number tags. And there's still, there's people who, whose family filed missing persons report with the police department. And the police department did nothing. And they knew that that person was buried in that field. And they didn't notify their family. That warrants a federal investigation. 100% it does. And an independent investigation. 
corruption right there. So they uncovered that a month ago. And I'm curious to see what happens to not only the police department, but to the bodies that they exhume from that field. That's upsetting that they would even do something like that. Not even notify the family members. And, and you had Dexter's mom calling up like almost every day. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even imagine how those, like what was going on in those cops' minds. Just like, oh, we know where he is, but we're not going to tell her. Anybody that was aware of that situation needs to be fired. Worse than that. Needs to be held accountable. Hell yeah. All right. Well, if you or a loved one have been buried in that field and you've been reanimated through the zombie virus, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. If you can still type. Yep. Send it to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We would love to hear your story. Definitely. With that being said, that is the end of my Theories Thursday topic this week. Do you have anything you want to add to this episode? It was a very morbid episode. It was. <laughs> it was. Well, if you want to hear another Theories Thursday, head over to our Patreon. It's just five bucks a month. We are doing another Theories Thursday on our Patreon this week. We cannot promise you that it's going to be any less morbid. Well, at least my topic isn't. Uh, I can't say for sure yet for mine. Yeah. But go enjoy that if you want to. If not, not a big deal. But regardless, I want to thank you for joining us today and thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. Oh.